Welcome back to a new episode of the Off the Dome podcast. Uh, thank you for tuning in. I'm here with a very special guest of mine. I interviewed him before, and he's back on again. Uh, it is Jeff Perlman, New York Times bestselling author, sp American sports writer, and his book, Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty of the 1980s is being turned into an HBO series called Winning Time, based off his 2014 book. The series premieres March 6th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on HBO and will also be available to stream on HBO Max. Jeff, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with me. I know you're busy with the promotion of uh, the show coming up and a bunch of interviews. Um, th thanks for uh, taking time to do this. I feel like my goal is to become your all-time leader in appearances, so I'm up to two. <laughs> We're at two. two. Yeah. Maybe for your Bo Jackson book, maybe we'll do three. Who, who there you knows? go. There you go. Who knows? <laughs> um, first of all, I just want to say congratulations on how on your book becoming a TV show. That's that never that rarely ever gets talked about nowadays. Like an author saying, "Well, my book's becoming a TV show." That's that's amazing. Um, it's so impressive that your work is recognized as being a timely, thrilling, and engaging enough to be turned into an HBO series. Um, I read that it's already considered being an ongoing series uh, the, uh, for your Three Ring Circus book. So congratulations on that front. I mean, hopefully it happens. You never know. But uh, hopefully. Yeah, it's all cool. It's all gravy. Like you write the book. The joy is in writing the books for me. It's my thing. And this is something I never saw happening. Never, wasn't even in my head. I've never thought of it before. And uh, it's crazy. It's like a crazy little, I just said to my wife earlier, I said, I'm going to treat this next week or period of time like you would a bar mitzvah or a wedding. Like it's like, a, you know, the world is crappy and there's so much bad going on. And, you know, we talked, just talked for a couple of seconds about, uh, you know, the U Ukraine and everything. And you got to kind of try to enjoy the good times. And this for me is a very rare, it just doesn't happen. You know, it just never has happened to me. It's kind of cool. I mean, I'm, that, that's a, it is like a bar mitzvah. And I consider the last time I talked to you, I mean, getting all that hoopla for the Three Ring Circus book that we talked about, like you're on cloud nine right now. Like, it, you, and uh, your cameo coming up. I'm, I'm very excited for that. <laughs> Wait, let's talk about a more important subject real quick. Yes. Did you have a bar mitzvah? Of course. Where was it? It was at North Shore Congregation of Israel. Okay. And, and also uh, the reception and the party both at the North Shore Congregation of Israel? Yes, at my temple, yes. And how did it go on a scale of one to ten? Uh, it was a ten. Being with all my friends and family, it, it was fun. And uh, and uh, your friend, the great Melissa Isaacson, was there. It was it was a great experience. Because I just want to say my bar mitzvah personally was at the Mount Kisco Holiday Inn in Mount Kisco, <laughs> New York. And um, it was kind of a disaster. And I remember at the end being very disappointed. Like you work oh, so no. hard for this thing and you, you dream of, you don't dream of it, but you work your butt off and you go to Hebrew school and you have all those annoying lessons. And then uh, the thing comes and goes and you're like, oh, that's it. So I'm glad you had a great bar mitzvah. I had a, just an okay one. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. Maybe, um, maybe um, I'm sure you had a, a great time with your kids bar and bar mitzvahs too. Like with, and I that, so I think that makes up for it. I guess so. All right, fair enough. Um, so this is your first book turned into like a limited series and congrats again, describe to me your reaction of why and how it was this book out of all your great books 
that was chosen to be adapted into an HBO miniseries. Were you, how were you notified and like, how did that whole thing work be, of your book becoming uh, the series? It's total luck, to be honest. Um, it really is like, uh, it's funny, the other day I was talking with some of the cast members and they were like, man, Jeff, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I really like, it's very accidental. I, I'm not saying that to be, to be like humble. Like it is accidental. I didn't write this book thinking it's gonna become anything. I didn't consider this book any more or less theatrical than any of the other books. It's just not a thing. But back in 2014, after the book came out, um, a, a screenwriter named Jim Hecht called me up and he was a pretty unknown guy. He'd done an Ice Age movie. That was his big writing credit. Nothing wrong with that, but that was his big credit. And he wanted to meet. And he, he showed up, he came to my house in New Rochelle, New York at the time. And he brought, the thing we always laugh about still is he brought three things with him. It was Easter Sunday. Since we're Jewish, as we've already established, it, it was fine. He came with a block of chocolate, a tomato, and a bottle of wine drink. Not wine, but wine drink. And we're all like, who the hell, what the hell is this? And, but he was really passionate about this book. And I just think this could be something. And I love this book and blah, 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 blah. And so that was the first bite. And through the years, he'd always been optimistic. I was always very pessimistic. I never thought it was going to happen. I just thought it was typical Hollywood BS. And then a couple of years ago, Adam McKay, who's a really well-known guy in Hollywood, I, I'm told to go to his house. We're going to meet at Adam McKay's house. I don't know who that is, but I look him up and he's a big time guy. And then you just one day you're signing contracts and another day you're on the set and you're meeting Sally Field and then you're in a, in a episode and your wife's in an episode, your kids are in episodes. And the whole thing was just, it's just crazy. I just, honestly, God, I feel like, um, I feel like I won like the fantasy Hollywood camp experience. Like they're like, all right, we're going to bid to the highest bidder, the fantasy camp experience. You get to go on a Hollywood set and you get to have a little tiny role in it. And it's going to be your book and who's going to bid. And I just happened to win. I didn't do anything. I just wrote the damn book. It's just crazy. So. That, that, that is amazing that, that, I mean, like, I'm sure you, uh, you think it's a dream and you don't want anyone to pinch you that you're like on a Hollywood set with, with all these actors and you're with, you're alongside with Adam McKay. Like, I'm sure you think to yourself, someone better not pinch me while you're, while, while this whole hoopla is going on for you. Well, it's like, um, to me, it's not about like meeting famous people. It's never been about that. As you get older, that stuff definitely wears off. Right. It's like, uh, it's like you write something down. Example was like, uh, there's, I, wrote, I wrote a lot about Jack McKinney, the coach of the Lakers before, uh, when Magic first got there. And he had this really tragic accident where he fell off his bike and he had you know, some real brain damage, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't that known of a story and I wrote about it. And then you're like watching this show and you're watching what you wrote on the screen in front of you. Or in some case, you're on the set watching them act out this stuff that you wrote with your hand and your pen and your laptop. And it's just really cool. It's just really cool. That's what it is more than anything. It's just like this trippy, crazy, weird thing that's happening. And you just feel like extremely lucky. And, you know, it's just, it's cool. It's just never happened to me. Probably may never happen again. It's just really cool. How involved and what ways have you been involved with the production? Um, I'm sure you've consulted with the director, Adam McKay on set and the creators of the show. Like what ways were you involved? So not like, I think people, people misunderstand and they think like I'm there every day, you know, like calling action, like not at all. There's a writer's room. 
I'm right. not one of the writers. I'm not a writer on the show and I right. shouldn't be a writer on the show and I don't want to be a writer on the show. I wrote the book. But like, they've been incredibly cool about sending me every episode, asking me a lot of questions about would this make sense? Would that make sense? Does that work? Does that work? Um, reading the scripts. Um, again, my wife, myself, my kids all had cameos in an episode. Uh, I've been asked to go on the set a couple of times, I think four times total. Um, so I feel like mainly my main role is if they need to check something, I'm always here. And if they want me to comment on whether something sort of plays realistically, I'm here to help. But believe me, this, this thing could be going on without me quite easily. They've been really gracious. They've been incredibly nice about it all. So, uh, so I have some questions about the uh, Showtime era. Um, uh, in regards to the story, um, obviously the great Dr. Buss, God rest his soul, changed the whole dynamic of what the NBA was with the Lakers showtime, uh, describe to me what you're going, what from the book and from what the audience is going to see in the show, describe to me what Dr. Buss's exact vision was when he took over for Jack Ken Cook, uh, to be the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers. All right. So I think it's interesting. How old are you? I'm 24. Okay. So like you've grown up with the NBA as a, as an entertainment thing, you know, like you've grown up where you go, you've gotten NBA games before. Yes. Oh, funny. Okay. You go to the NBA game and like, it's not just a game. In fact, in a lot of ways, the game is secondary. It's dancers, it's t-shirts into the stands. It's a halftime show. It's loud music playing as the opposing team is handling the ball, like on and on and on all that stuff. And that really all comes from Jerry Buss in a lot of ways. Like Jerry Buss was a guy who came along and said, we're going to make this entertainment. People are going to come to this game, not to just be entertained by basketball, but to be entertained by literal entertainment. So we're going to have celebrities lying in courtside. Um, we're going to have dancers. They're not just going to be, we're not just going to have cheerleaders. We're going to have dancers and they're going to dance sexy. You know, um, we're going to have, all sorts of music and we're going to make it, we're going to have this place called the forum club and it's going to be like studio 54 for people. It's going to be wild and crazy. And we'll have Coke and we'll have drinks and we'll have everything. And he just turned the NBA. He really, I, I think is very much responsible for the NBA being what it is now, which is an entertainment league, not just a basketball league. And that is very well depicted in the show. Wow. Yeah. Because the league at the time was on the verge of bankruptcy and like, we didn't really think it was just like a game where you watch maybe a few dancers here and there, but it was just a game. You watch it and then you go home. Now it's like a thing where if you go to an NBA game, say your team is struggling, you're just there for the experience and it's fun. If, and you go home and win regardless. I mean, if you want to, if you want to put in like perspective, 1980 NBA finals was the 76ers and Lakers. Right. It was shown on tape delay. Wow. It was shown on tape delay. So it wasn't even aired live. Like, that's how crazy it was. And this was Magic and Dr. J playing in the finals on tape delay. So. Uh, that's just, that's on, now that's unheard of. Of course, of course. It's crazy. Um, yep. So before Magic Johnson got drafted to the league, the league was dying. And at one point it was on the verge of bankruptcy. So how did Magic Johnson's presence and style of play and the whole team's style of play was Showtime because it developed when he was got there. Um, how did the whole dynamic of the NBA for a year change for the years to come? I feel like he was like one of the most important superstars 
in NBA history because him and I would say Larry Bird, obviously, because it was dying down. Um, would you agree with that sentiment? In what ways did his did this like arrival like reinvigorate the NBA? Uh, from your opinion, well, the thing that it was, it wasn't just magic. It literally was magic and Bird. They came in together. They actually were rookies the same year, and all of a sudden you had the re- revitalization. They're basically three standard bearer. Um, franchises in the NBA at that time, Lakers, Knicks, uh, Celtics. So two of those three were all of a sudden getting infused with these dynamic, ready, immediately superstar rookies. And not only that, there were rookies who the previous March met in the uh, NCAA championship game, Indiana State, Bird, Michigan State, Magic. So people knew about both of them. They came into the league uh, hyped and packaged. So the arrival of those two, I mean, it was like, it was truly like a big gulp of oxygen for the NBA where all of a sudden you had these two guys and also like not for nothing. They're kind of opposites. Also sadly, cause it's stupid, but not for nothing. Bird was white. Magic was black. It kind of built up this rivalry. Bird was white. And in Boston, magic was black and in LA um, magic was, had this smile. He has one of the best smiles in the history of sports. He was charismatic as all get out and bird, even in his kind of surliness, also had a charisma to him. So I just think those two guys, to me, more important than Jordan's arrival, more important than LeBron's arrival. Um, I just think they, they, they kind of saved that league. Transitioning for the real life magic to the actor portraying him. Uh, what do you think the show got right as far as the casting? Because that's the most important part. I mean, you could develop a great story, but you got to develop like which guys would fit each role or which guy, what, um, ladies and gentlemen would fit each role. Um, what did the show get right as far as the casting, which were like, wow, the audience to believe that John C. Riley is the great Dr. Buzz or Quincy Isaiah is Irvin Magic Johnson. Um, what did it get right in, as far as the casting goes? I mean, Quincy is uh, uncanny. Like it's, I, I'm, I, I, I think you could look around and you could take, I could give you 10 years to cast Magic Johnson. I'll give you 10 years and unlimited resources. You, you can travel the globe, 10 years, unlimited resources. You will not find a more perfect guy to play him. It's ridiculous how good he is. And if you, once you watch the show and then you look at pictures of Magic or you watch old tapes of Magic, you'll, you start saying, wait, which one is Magic and which one is Quincy? It's <laughs> uncanny. It's really uncanny. And also not for nothing, the guy's a wonderful guy. He's just so nice. And what I love about the show is um, it's a lot of established actors. So it's, you know, you have Sally Field and Adrian Brody and Jason Siegel and John C. Riley, uh, you know, Jason Clark. But mixed in there are all these young guys who you've never heard of before who are all of a sudden starring in an HBO series. I mean, it's freaking... Like the guy who plays Michael Cooper is a guy named Delante D'Souza. And he's a, he's a delightful guy. And um, he was like selling mortgages last year in Maryland. And he saw this audition for Michael Cooper and did it on Zoom and got the part. And now he's in LA in an HBO series playing a key Laker. Solomon Hughes, a guy who plays Kareem, who's so freaking good. He's like, he was, he's a professor, a college professor who just always kind of wanted to act. It, uh, it's I can't think of a negative thing to say about the casting. I really can't. It's just freaking uncanny. It's so good. Now, I was reading uh, the part about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar last night, and he was a very – one of the more interesting uh, got per players that I've ever, like, studied 
um, yep. on and off the court. I mean, he was very introverted like the rest of the players back then. Um, describe to me the casting of Kareem and and what do you want audiences to understand about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Because in the book, like, and from like what I've, and from like what he was back then, he, he you couldn't read him that much. I mean, he was very aloof from the rest of them, very different um, is from the book. I mean, and from how he was with the treated the fans around and the media back then, like, Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, the guy they cast is uh, he's a guy Solomon used. Uh, he's a former uh, NBA player, uh, excuse me, not NBA college player at Cal, and he was also a Harlem Globetrotter. He totally has the look and he has the demeanor and kind of the curious intellectualism that you would want in Kareem. And the thing about Kareem that's really interesting, is, like a lot of people thought he was an asshole, and. He wasn't, he was kind of made to be an asshole. You know, like he grew up in New York. He was always the tallest kid. He was always a freak show. Mm-hmm. I would say like, how's the weather up there? Well, you hear that once, it's kind of funny. How's the weather up there? How's the weather up there? You hear it a hundred times. It starts to grade on you. Um, and, you know, he like, he had a moment in high school. He played a power memorial high school. He's a le- high school legend. He had a coach he loved. And then one game, the coach says to him, why are you playing like a typical blank using the N-word? And like that kind of shattered Kareem, you know, like and his trust of people. And so he's a really complicated guy. I don't think he's an asshole. I think he's complicated. Um, and I think, I really do think what I've seen of Sol, I've watched the first 10 episodes. I just think Solomon nails it, like nails it, nails it perfectly. I'm telling you, the casting is insane. It's ridiculous how good it is. Like, I can't imagine people will have the criticisms because people always have the criticisms. Can't imagine anyone saying this is a poorly cast show. No, from all the trailers I've seen, like, Matt, first of all, he has the uh, Quincy, he resembles, like, all the tendencies of Magic Johnson. Like, on the court, like, he, he moved like him, like, he talked like him, like, he had, like, this certain charisma like Magic had from, like, the couple minutes I've seen. And right. John C. Riley, as usual, is entertaining. I mean, if I, I've seen his comedies, obviously, and some of the other movies he's been, he – Every time he's on screen, like he's a presence. Correct. He's so. very, very good. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I mean, again, like kind of starting off with the theme of this thing. If you said to me a couple years ago, like, you're going to write this book, you're going to write this book. It's going to be an HBO series. And John C. Riley, Sally Field, and Adrian Brody are going to be starring in your TV show. You'd be like, no fucking way. That's ridiculous. You know, like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, like, you know, it'd be weird for me to come on here and criticize anything because I'm living fantasy camp. You know, it's just ridiculous. So obviously like when the project and trailer first got announced as um, the real life counterparts, obviously Magic Johnson was said like, he wasn't really that excited about it. Jeannie mm-hmm. Buss, um, I, I don't, I haven't really heard much of that. Uh, Jerry West, I, at this point, his relationship with the Lakers is not salvageable. I don't really think he really cares about this at this Probably point. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> no, he does not. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, does it? What What are your thoughts on on these counterparts not being excited about a project? Does it bother you or? No, zero percent. First of all, I've written many books where the main subject doesn't help. Right. And, you know, I wrote a Brett Favre biography. Brett Favre did not cooperate in writing the biography. Um, it's his right. Like, it's his right, you know, because you think about it, like, 
So you're Brett, just as an example, you're Brett Favre. This guy comes along, you don't know him. He says, I'm writing a biography of your life. Well, you're Brett Favre. You say, well, how much money do I get? Well, none. I can't pay you. It's journalistic. Oh, do I get to read it before it comes out? No, you don't. So what exactly is the benefit? And you're the Lakers. Um, this show is being made. It's being made without your cooperation. It's being made without your input. You're Jeannie Buss. You're like, wait, so I don't make any money off of this? No. So I don't get final say in this? No. Like, I get it. Like, I actually get it. From her perspective, I totally get it. I will say the thing that bugs me is I always, I have, a, have had a long time relationship with Jeannie. I have nothing bad to say about Jeannie. I really like Jeannie a lot, a lot, a lot. She, I, I was an adjunct professor at Chapman University out here. Twice she came to my class to talk. She brought tickets for the students. I mean, she's great, but she doesn't really talk to me anymore. You know, like she's clearly not happy about this. And that, it's not like we were best friends or anything, but like, that kind of bums me out. I really like her. So that's the, that's my only negative. I don't blame them. I'm not mad at anyone. I'm sure when magic says he's not going to watch it, he's full of crap. I know he's going to watch it. I'm sure. <laughs> it. I mean, give me a break. Of course they're going to watch it. So I'm just bad. I'm, I'm upset because I really like Jeannie and I feel like if she heard it, if she knew it from my perspective, which is basically someone comes along and they, HBO comes along and they want to make a series out of your book. You're not going to say no, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not like TMZ is coming along to HBO. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying no to that. And I think she, she could be a little more understanding of that. Right. I, I totally get it. Like from their perspectives though, like them, like, of course. I mean, like, yeah, if I, someone was like playing, like, if someone was you. playing you, if I was writing a book about you and you're like, well, will you pay me to help you? No. Well, can I read it before it's done? No. So you're going to make money off of writing about me? Yes. I don't want to do that. Now, a lot of the thing, the argument is it's going to be a freaking HBO show about the Lakers. And like, it's a great show. And these characters are awesome. And like, you have great actors playing you. And I would always think if ultimately, if I'm in Jeannie's position, I'd rather be with it than against it. I'd rather be part of it. I'd rather invite the actors to sit courtside at a Laker game than pretend this isn't happening or fight back. Like, I don't really see the benefit of it. So uh let me ask you like a question on the court because you watch basketball like i do you're you follow it um uh, here and there how much of an impact do you think this showtime lakers offense because when we see in the series for basketball junkies they're going to show like they were it back in the 80s like a sort of imitation of the fast-paced high high style offense mm -hmm. um how much of an impact do the Showtime Lakers offense have on the current modern NBA and which current teams or teams kind of resembles like the Showtime Lakers, like offense with excellent ball movement. Um, what do you, uh, how much, uh, this is like a two part question. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, well, I mean, the team that reminds me of the Lakers weirdly, cause they're not that great of a team is actually Charlotte. And I heard magic the other day talk about LaMelo and say kind of reminds him of him. And I always think it's kind of arrogant when athletes say so-and-so reminds me of me, but <laughs> I do think LaMelo has a certain magic Johnson approach to him. And he's a pass first point guard who could score, but doesn't really want to score. He's not a great three point shooter, but he could be better, but he has this dynamic way about him. And I do think that team has a lot of that flair to him. I really do. Um, the impact it's certainly there because they became this run and gun team and sort of, um, ushered back in or ushered in a much faster pace of basketball. It's hard to say 
it's just hard to say that the lazy answer would be for me to say to you, oh, they obviously the impact of Showtime can be seen today. I think the impact is clear because Pat Riley um, was a genius coach who people decided to emulate and people watch the Lakers decide to copy that style. And you have to assume through the years that trickles down to different teams and different coaches. And maybe what you saw Mike D'Antonio do, uh, you know, in Phoenix and then in Houston, maybe there's some of that. It's hard to say. It certainly had an impact. But the big impact, I think, is Magic Johnson was a six foot nine point guard when you didn't do that. All the point guards were six feet, 5'11", 6'1", 6'2", and he was 6'9". And there was a real fear by the Lakers and Jerry West. How is this going to work? Like, how is he not going to have the ball stolen? Because he's dribbling so high up. And Magic really showed the advantages of having a tall point guard. And when you see guys today, even a guy like Kevin Durant, who's not technically a point guard, but who will bring the ball up the court at the same size as Magic, basically, mm-hmm. there, are a lot of, there are a lot of roots connected to Magic playing point in the NBA at 6'9". Yeah, point forward. Uh, KD – But he wasn't a point forward. That's the thing. Point Magic forward. was not a point forward. Magic was a strict hardcore point guard. But the idea of a point forward sort of stems from that. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I would say LeBron is a point forward. Kevin at times yeah. could be a point forward because Kevin's an underrated passer. So they are – but I would say LeBron has sort of similar Magic Johnson qualities because he's more compared – I see more ga- comparisons in his game to Magic as opposed to Michael. Hmm. Are you on first name basis with all of these guys? <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Uh, yeah. Do you know him? I don't know. Um, no. I would. Yeah. I mean, the NBA is so different now. Like, if you think about it, it's really weird now. Like, I was thinking recently how Shaq would be such a strange fit in the modern NBA. Because on the one hand, you could be like, man, he would just pulverize centers down low. But how would he guard anyone? Like, Right. He'd be like a potted plant with the way these guys run around now. Even like just a guy like Embiid, you know, or like you saw Carr Anthony Towns win the three-point contest. Like <laughs> it was crazy. How would Shaq ever guard that guy? So no. the game is so different. You really what you have now is a bunch of Magic Johnsons all over the court, a bunch of guys who can handle the ball, um, and that really is probably one of his biggest legacies is just expanding, adding height to positions where there wouldn't normally be height. Right. Exactly. Like it, it kind of gave players like the ability to play like beyond like what their height was yeah. like out of their typical norm, I would say. And also like when I was coming up as a kid, maybe you too. I don't I mean, but I know like when I was coming up as a kid and you were on a basketball team, it was this, all right, the center, you're going to stand in the middle right here in the paint right. power forward. You're going to stand next to him. The small forward, you can come up and down and cut across the baseline. You have your shooting guard who can wing out and wing back and your point guard is going to bring up the ball. And that was it. Like, that was what basketball was. And nowadays, if you were teaching basketball, you'd be like, all right, you're the center, but you can also handle the ball. And you're the point guard, but you're a big point guard, so you can post up at times. It's just the whole game has been so, I think, beautifully, like wonderfully um, changed and widened. So So when people read your book or watch this HBO series, what are you hoping people get out of watching this show or also reading your book before watching the show? Um, enjoying it, man. I just want people to enjoy it. The world is a dark place. You know, there's a lot of crap going on in the world and the last few years have been awful. And if someone, I swear to God, I'm not just saying this. If someone can sit down for an hour and watch a TV show or read a book and just feel lost in it and get joy watching the recreation of magic and, and Kareem and even Larry Bird and all these great actors, or just sit back and read a book on a porch, drinking a lemonade and not think about Ukraine or not think about, 2024 or whatever you know like 
that's awesome. Like, I don't need you. I don't need anyone to have a great life transformation off my book. You know, they're sports books. They're fun. They're supposed to be fun. So I hope people enjoy it more than anything. Um, one word to describe the era of Showtime and why. Oh, man. Uh, let's go with uh, dazzling. Because I will tell you, when I was a kid growing up in suburban New York, in my little podunk town, and they would show Laker games on TV, which wasn't that often, but you always got them in the playoffs. They'd show the outside of the forum, and you'd see the palm trees. And I would, again, I was in New York, freezing my ass off half the time. Then you go inside the forum, and it'd be the Laker girls dancing. It'd be Jack Nicholson and like different celebrities courtside. It'd be magic with his wide smile. It'd be the cool uniforms the Lakers had, the cool warm-ups the Lakers had. Pat Riley with his hair gelled, walking the sidelines. It was just dazzling, man. It was just freaking, you know, the, I grew up in New York. So the Knicks were the Knicks and they were plotting and the Nets, my favorite team, but they sucked. And the Lakers were like just dazzling, sparkling. Yeah. I mean, like they kind of had the impact of, of just like them now, like where you can go to a game and celebrities can go like, it kind of like re like established that it was basketball is just more than a game. It's an entertainment value. I, I really, I, I, watched like I watched um some old games obviously um with the Shaq Kobe era and the Co- and just the Kobe Powell era and recently the LeBron Anthony Davis era like even if they're losing or even if like things are not going their way like there's still people filling stadiums there's still celebrities there. there's still Laker girls like it's more than just a basketball brand it's like an entertainment brand altogether the NBA has become an entertainment yeah. brand the games you need to watch on YouTube truly are like Lakers, Celtics, 1985, 86, 87. It was just, it was so great. Like these guys hated each other. Like they hated each other. Bird hated Michael Cooper and Kareem hated Kevin McHale. And like, they all just, it was like real hard. It's still frosty. Some of those relationships, you know, and it's like, right. it's great. It was great. It was so great. And like, I watched the all-star game the other day. Right. And I know they played hard in the fourth and whatever, it's just so freaking soft. And yeah. like back then, they all wanted to win. They wanted to win the All-Star game. The All-Star like, game was like legit back then. Like people like cared about it. Now it's I, stupid. It's actually stupid. And like whenever you watch an All-Star game, tell me if I'm wrong. You're younger than I am. Like the All-Star game's on. And it'll, it'll be the second quarter, right? Boring. And like Lamelo will throw an alley-oop to someone and everyone will be like, Ugh. but like if no one's playing defense, it just isn't that interesting. No, it's not like it's. I mean, like that's why they kind of like changed, like had to mix things up when they decided yeah. to do the two captains of who would get the most votes, yeah. and then like they decide. Then with obviously during the All Star game back in Chicago two years ago, they had to, you know, they had to. They wanted to honor Kobe with the new rules, and I kind of liked it. It kind of became yeah, really yeah. competitive. It's better, but um, I don't know. Dunk contest has gone weak. No, that was the worst dunk contest I've ever seen in my life. I have a, I actually have a plan for this. I think they should take test the NBA players' pride a little bit and get four guys, four of the best dunkers, like four audition, four people who audition for it, and they get in, and they're going to challenge the NBA guys. And I think once the NBA guys start losing, you start getting the best dunkers again. You know, like Zach Levine should be in the NBA slam dunk contest. It's ridiculous. It's dumb that it's become uncool to be in the slam dunk contest. You know, like I, it really has. It's become uncool. If you're a star, you're not going to do it. I, I agree. Like, I, I kind of don't like how stars think they're like above the norm. Oh, like, 
you're, if you want to dunk, you dunk, try to win, add something to your resume for your, for a potential Hall of Fame career. Do that. I agree. I agree, man. Right. Um, so, is there anything from the book that during the production, obviously, that you wish was involved, but obviously you can, they couldn't go through? Typically, when books transition to TV and film, you can't include everything from a book into a TV and a movie. That's just like kind of the name of the game. Do um, mm-hmm. you think this is kind of spoilers for those that haven't read the book or don't okay. know the story? Um, yeah. Um, but were there any parts of the book that didn't make the show that kind of disappointed you or? Well, the thing is, first of all, it's only been, I mean, this, the, the book is from 1979 to 1991 and the first season is only 79.80. So there's this, most of the book they haven't even gotten to yet. But um, I just don't, I, I'm being honest, I don't really think that way. Like it's not, the book is not a, they're not supposed to stick to the book. Like the book is almost like a guide for that era, right. but it's their show. It's not my show. So I wouldn't be, I would never think like, how could you leave that out? Or you did that. Like, it's just not, it's not how I think. So I think the first season's awesome. I got no beef. Yeah. Um, and I, and the second, and now they're re they're in the rumors of getting this, the uh, unofficial sequel to this Laker anthology series for the three ring circus book. That's in the Correct. Rumors. That's not a rumor. That is a fact. That doesn't mean they're making it. It just means they bought the right to the book, so they have the possibility of making it if they want to. Wow, that 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 is very cool. I, I'm I'm very excited about like what what they do with it because the from what I've read so far, it's shocking. I told you the story um, uh, when we talked about Jerry Tarkanian. I told you the story of my mom meeting him. Like that that this whole this whole first act and the, for the first uh, couple episodes, it's gonna be crazy. It's, gonna be yeah, it's really good. I think you'll like it. I mean, I like it. So hopefully I'm sure I will. It's going to provide more enjoyment than this current Lakers season I, that, I, that, I, that I've DM'd you constantly about how disappointing Russell Westbrook has been. I'm just telling you, though, I don't watch as much as you think. Like, you DM me, and I'm like, I guess so. Like, I don't watch that much. <laughs> I'm not even a Laker fan. I didn't grow up a Laker fan, so I don't really, you know, like, I've written about him, but I don't. I have a neighbor down the street, this kid, Drew, who's a great kid, and he's, uh, he's in college, and he's a diehard Laker fan, and his heart is broken all the time. And he's always like, I don't know, man, they're looking pretty good. And then the next day I'm like, Drew, they just lost to the Rockets by 30. I know, man, they suck. And then a day later he'll be like, I don't know. It looks pretty good. And I'm like, Drew, they suck. They're not good. So. I kind of feel kind of think of the same way with Drew. It's his up and down season. Uh, this is to end this off. I have a question. This is, I'm kind of half, I DM'd you this. I'm half, I was kind of half joking about it. Half this better serious. be a great question. Cause you said, this is the question. So this better be a good question. <laughs> okay. All right. This um, better be good. I got pressure on you. Okay. I, right, I fingers crossed. Um, this wait, is, wait, wait, wait. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So this is, I'm half joking about this and okay. half serious about it, but like, it kind of is like an important question. Say that, like, at, say, like, this book, this series becomes a mass success and say, yep. like, down the road you get inspired to write another Lakers book to this unofficial trilogy. Would you ever consider writing another Lakers book on the LeBron James era? Would you ask? Is that something that's ever crossed your mind? Okay, that's not a bad question. I have been asked that a bunch. I, I lean hard no, and I'll tell you why. Oh. Well, I'll tell you why. Okay. Number one, 
they've only won one championship and it was during kind of a little bit of a, you know, the asterisk years, the, the, the bubble, right? Number two, like, so definitely with Showtime and a little less with Three Ring Circus, but still, there was like nostalgia for me. Like I was nostalgic about that time period. You know, I was growing up watching sports. Even, you know, when Kobe was drafted, I was 24. So I was still a young sports fan and a young sports writer. It's hard, it's hard for me to be nostalgic about athletes, some of whom are probably young enough to be my kid at this point. I just don't have the same nostalgia and I don't have the same sense of, same sense of wonder. And the thing that makes it hard about modern athletes is like, they don't do anything. Like, they're always on their phones. They never go out. They don't drink. They're certainly not doing Coke. And that's good. I'm not saying it's bad, but like narratively, like what do they do? Because it's pretty boring and quiet, you know? And like, it's just, it's just not the same pizzazz as it used to be. So it doesn't mean I won't write it because I've been asked about it a lot. So I guess like theoretically might, but I'm not that passionate about writing about these modern Lakers. And I don't even think people want to read about them. It's not the same. It's not the same. Are you going to be nostalgic for the LeBron COVID year? I mean, look, but look, I, I'll, I, I could see why you wouldn't be, wouldn't write that. And I, I kind of agree. It's not like exciting like your other, two, wouldn't be as exciting as your other two books. But I will, I'll make a counter like sort of argument in your, in this way. I, I think maybe because before LeBron came, they were, had the worst record in the league. For during those five years before he came, post, yeah. a lot of the post Kobe years, and he kind of like was the superstar that chose to go there. Obviously, it was mostly basketball, but obviously it was also because of the off the court business things he's done. But like he kind of like put that brand back on the map, I would say, and like obviously bringing in Anthony Davis, another star, and then dealing with obviously all the under duress stress of the twenty twenty year. Yeah, that involves with the Kobe tragedy and the COVID incident and the great social un unrest. Right. And people say that's an asterisk year. I think like they, I think it's a very hard championship because it was all about who was the most mentally tough team in the bubble and they were able to persevere. I mean, people call it an asterisk. I mean, but I view it as like a very mentally rewarding championship for whoever won it. And like, I think maybe that could have been like a good story, I would say. Um, but like it, but I could understand why you wouldn't want to do it. I mean, it's the modern, the modern athletes are not kind of, they're not as sophisticated as like the old generation. No, I disagree. They're more sophisticated. They're really? super savvy and they're super smart and they're super aware. And in a way that's a problem. Like they're super savvy. So like they're much less inclined to say anything. It's much harder to get access. Agents have this control that they never had before it's really hard to cover the modern NBA because players are so aware. And what's the motivation to talk to a reporter when you can talk direct to your followers on Twitter, you know? <laughs> so it's hard, but you have just convinced me not to write this book. There's no way I'm doing this book. It's just, I just wouldn't enjoy it. To devote two years to a subject that you don't really give a shit about is very hard. Yeah. So it's I, a no for me. Fair enough, fair enough. I, 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 I never say never though. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens down the line. Sure. Someone might offer me $10 million, then I'm in. <laughs> I, um, if you do, if that happens, then you're a lock yeah. to do that. Um, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll help you create a good title for that because of me Fair following enough. this whole, uh, me following it on a constant basis. I'll come up with a good title for you. If you, All right, fair enough. 
we're in. Uh, Jeff Perlman, thank you so much for doing another episode of Off the Dome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for coming back. Good luck on the show and congratulations on another successful book. I'm very excited. Um, before you go, I actually want to ask, how's the update on the Bo Jackson book? Because you. Coming out in October. It's good. It's coming down, picking out pictures as we speak. So yeah, it's what's the, good. What, what's the title of the book? It's called The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Uh, I'm going to be the first one to buy it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Off the Dome podcast. Uh, enjoy listening to it and have a great day. Go get them.